0: Welcome to How to Go to Work, the podcast that explores ways to get started. I'm author Lucy Clayton, and each week I'll be asking a guest to take us right back to the beginning. We'll be talking to people from all sorts of industries about how they began, how they chose their career or how it chose them, how they've met challenges or exploited chances, the times when they've been held back or inspired further. We know that even if you've had good support at home and in education, there are lots of things no one tells you about making the transition into the workplace. It's an almost universal rite of passage, and yet it's still shrouded in mystery. And a lot of this is simply because people can forget to talk about those early moments of their career once they reach the apex of it. So for young people, it's often hard to imagine what the journey looks like to the job of your dreams. So we're going to find out from the people who have been there and done all that. And today, I'm talking to best-selling author Simon Sinek. Sinek is, first and foremost, an optimist. That spirit imbues all his books, Start With Why, Leaders Eat Last, and Together Is Better, which have garnered him a devoted following all over the world. He's a visionary thinker who teaches leaders and organisations how to inspire people. His TED talk, How Great Leaders Inspire Action, is one of the most viewed of all time. And his new book, The Infinite Game, Challenges readers to help build a world in which people wake up inspired, feel safe at work, and feel fulfilled at the end of the day. And that's why I'm thrilled he's here to talk to me about how to go to work, Simon. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, our readers and listeners for this project are at the very start of their working lives, and they might hear that introduction and that description uh, of your your bold ambition that you posit in the Infinite Game and think, well surely isn't that what work should be, isn't isn't that obvious because it sounds so simple and so desirable, but that isn't most people's experience of what work looks like, is it? How would you characterize the status quo you're challenging in the book?
1: Well it it is an idealised state of the future for sure. Um, And I completely agree. It is how work should be. Um, I believe that loving our jobs is a right and not a privilege. You know, we all have friends who, you know, you go out for drinks and somebody says, I love my job. And we all go, oh, you're so lucky. (laughs) And and it's like they didn't win anything. Um, uh, That should be the normal. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, loving our jobs should be a standard, but it's not. And most people, you know, how's your job? It's fine, mm. you know. It's not great. It's not awful. It's fine, and and that that's good.
0: Yeah, that's a benchmark I mean, that's, of, of know, respectable. Fine, fine
1: is respectable, you right? Know? Um, and uh, and and we start rationalizing that our jobs are simply means to an end. It's a way to pay our bills. It's a way to have a little extra spending money. Um, but but work sh- work. We spend more time at work than we do at home. We spend more time with our colleagues than we do with our friends. Um, and it should be a a valuable and integral part of our lives um, you know this whole work life balance idea is sort of a is a mystery to me mm. because it's it's us it's
0: right like
1: the, like balance what are we balancing what <laughs> you know the only difference between work and home is the clothes I wear and the, the table I sit at right um our the reason our friends love us is because it 's us, and the reason our colleagues love us is because it 's us, mm. and the opportunity is to is to have Um, joy in both those places that's how you have a joyful life you know no amount of yoga will fix the fact that you hate your job you know that's not what work-life balance is
0: I always think that work-life balance is you never hear well you never hear anyone who loves their job say it so that to me is suspicious fundamentally
1: yeah no that's interesting no that's true Um, the people I know who love their jobs uh, find find it indistinguishable Mm, Exactly.
0: It feels at the moment in conversations around work, of which, of course, there are rightly many, and I think we are interrogating the best practice and how to change things. And your book is a hugely important part of that conversation. But we talk about things like being your whole self at work, and then talk about work-life balance. And those two concepts don't make any sense, because that's about splitting you in two, as you say, when actually, it's just the clothes and the desk. So I feel like, again, for, for people starting out, there are all these conflicting messages that they're told. Uh, about their well-being and that's actually just really confusing you know
1: jobs are like relationships you know there's other people involved uh, it's not just you and there it's to be to have a job you love is like having a relationship in which you are in love um which is it requires a lot of work and you know the happiest relationships people will always tell you it's hard work (laughs) right you know and i hate to break it to anybody but but work is the same it it, loving work is hard work.
0: Um,
1: and, and I make the distinction between like uh, uh, um, liking our jobs and loving our jobs. Now, you don't like your children every day, but you love your children every day. You know, you don't like your friends every day, but you can love them every day. Well, you don't have to like your job every day, but you can love it every day. You can have hard days. You can have thank- thankless days. You can have angry days. You can have frustrated days. You can have an entire week where you're unmotivated and don't want to be there. But you can still love the job because it offers you a, a safe place to be yourself. It offers you fulfillment. It, you feel like the, the organization itself and your bosses are interested in your personal growth and want to see you and help you become a better version of yourself. And that's where we get the love. Right. Um, but, but we also have to do our part. You know, we, we can't show up in a personal relationship and expect the other person to provide for us. Um, we, we, it has to be equitable. We have to contribute as well. And and the same is true when we go to a job. You know, the, the, the entitlement um, is, I should be getting this. Mm. And the question is, is, sure, what are you doing to contribute?
0: Yeah, play your part.
1: Play your part, which is you have to step into the circle of safety. You know, um, you have to take risks. You have to be willing to fail. You have to ask for help. You have to admit, admit mistakes. Um, you have to be willing to accept... Uh, consequences if you are, if you don't take responsibility or do things do go wrong. That doesn't mean you're going to lose your job, although sometimes it can if you refuse to take accountability. I see more young people lose their jobs not because they made the mistake. It's because they make mistakes and they underperform and don't take responsibility. Yeah. That is the thing that gets you um, but in But that's trouble.
0: weird because actually all of those things that you've just listed are, I think, easier to do at the very beginning of your career than they are when the stakes are higher or your the pressure is more there's a period at the beginning where it's completely okay to say i think i got this wrong or i don't know how to do this like that is a massive opportunity that i think is often wasted because people are either posturing or they're frightened by or the culture doesn't allow them to kind of celebrate that moment but for me if i was starting out again the one thing i would do is i would rinse that opportunity at the beginning
1: i mean look it's easier said than done right right you know when we show up for our first jobs we're full of um excitement and insecurity we're full of uh piss and vinegar and hesitation and we're uh, you know and it can change with the weather and um and we want to prove that they made the right choice hiring us right and i and i try and you know the thing that i i try and explain to people who are in entry-level jobs that when we look at all the cvs they're all basically the same. You know, if if a company is particularly trying to hire somebody who went to a good university and got good grades, well, guess what? Everybody they're interviewing went to a top exactly, university yeah. and got good grades. Yeah, And they all have extracurricular this and that. And they all had a, you know, they're all basically, like, it's all basically the same. Yeah. And the interviews count for a lot because we're looking for somebody we like, or we want, they feel like they share our values and they're part of our team. And so We know you don't know anything because you haven't done anything.
0: (laughs) That's okay. And we
1: like, (laughs) like we already
0: know. Yeah, we did it
1: too. We did it too. (laughs) Like we know, you know, nothing. And what we want is not people who pretend they know everything. What we're looking for people who, what we're looking for is people who really want to learn. What we're looking for is people who are hungry to improve and get smarter and get better and ask for tons of help. Mm. You know, I, 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 when I, when I sit down with young people who are early in their jo- in their careers, you know, one of the pieces of advice I always share is um, uh, ask your boss, w- you know, what sucks, like what sucks and what sucks less. <laughs> like, we all want to hear how great we are. I got that. But we don't learn anything. When everything goes right. We only learn things when things go, things go wrong. So when you know, I, I always teach people like I, I had to learn this. It took me a bunch of years to learn mm. this. This is not something you learn in a week. Um, to really crave critical feedback. Yeah. You know, when somebody's like, Simon, great job. I'm like, thanks. What could I have done better? Yeah. Well, no, no, you did a great job. I got it. I got it. Even at something small, please tell me what I could have done better. Be critical. Yeah. And you learn to really crave the negative feedback. Mm-hmm. Not only does it help you be better, but it also helps you build a thicker skin so that when somebody um offers you negative feedback when you didn't ask for it. Right. You're kind of like all right.
0: Yeah, it changes I'll, your relationship it changes, doesn't your relationship. it with criticism because you have exactly. asked for it. You've yeah. embraced it and then you're right.
1: Like, <laughs> it's the most amazing thing to 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 ask for to ask for it. Yeah. Um to
0: insist upon it. To almost. insist upon it.
1: Yeah. Um and and view view a job not as a destination but as a journey. Mm. Um you know I think everybody has an idealized state of what they want to achieve in their life in their careers um, it, and it, it's like it's like standing at the foot of a mountain and God bless them. I think young people today more than more than my generation when I was younger have a much clearer sense of what work should be like, you know um, that that they should have a job they love and they should have good leaders and they should work in a culture that fosters growth. you know those are good things. It's as if they can see with perfect clarity the top of a mountain, the summit of a mountain, what they don't see is the mountain.
0: Right, okay.
1: You know, and there's yeah. no rule that says, you know, I'm not advocating, well, you have to do your time. I did my time. That's no. not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is a mountain.
0: <laughs> it exists.
1: It's, it's the same size for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And you can run up it. You can crawl up it. You can take a helicopter. I don't care how you get up the mountain, but you got to get up the mountain. And some days is some, some days the journey is stunning. The sky is blue. <laughs> the view is spectacular. And some days it's snowing and cloudy. And you can't even see if you're moving in the right direction. And you have no choice. You have to keep going up the mountain. And the really hard thing for people to, to really swallow is that they'll never actually get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Life is the journey in pursuit of that ideal and each step along the way makes us feel like we're getting closer and closer, which is what makes our life and our job fulfilling. By the way, mm-hmm. it's that we can look down and see that we've covered a lot of distance. It's not actually reaching the summit that makes us fulfilled. It's actually looking backwards and saying, "Wow, I can't believe how far I've gone." Right, and that—that's the joy.
0: So tell me then, as a young person, as a child, did in you not have
1: oh seven? Yes,
0: <laughs> did you at that point mm-hmm. in in darkest history? Mm-hmm. Did you have? a sense at all. Of because, because to hear you talk about it now, it would be very surprising to me if you are about to tell me you had no idea as a child or as a young person, what it is that you wanted to do or what that summit of that mountain looked like, even in theory.
1: I had a vision of what my career should look like. But looking backwards, I couldn't see the summit, I could only see the middle. Okay. So I said, I one day wanted to start my own business well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's that, that, big that, that's, statement. that's fine, <laughs> doable, but you do realize then there's like probably 30 years after that, um, that I had no vision of whatsoever. Okay. Um, and so it was a very finite sort of view of career. Like I'm going to go get a job up until the point I'm going to go start a business. That's my, that's my I goal. See,
0: that was the plan. That
1: was the plan, which is not the summit. It's just kind of like a, a base camp. Um, But that's what I started with. And I, you know, I think my personality profile was pretty similar to a lot of young people today, you know, full of gusto, um, full of idealism, uh, absolutely convinced I knew better and knew more. (laughs) I mean, really, of course. Um, And my very first job uh, that I was very excited for. uh, I had a really bad boss. Uh, She was nice. You know, it's not, she was not an evil person. Right. Uh, she was just a really bad leader. And I worked on a team of six young people. whereas was all of our first jobs. And um, something magical happened, which is because we had a bad boss, uh, we all looked after each other. And it was an absolutely incredible team, except for one of us, where one person on our team decided that her strategy would be to friend and become you know sort of the boss's favorite
0: she made the wrong choice
1: and and so we (laughs) you know she excluded herself from us and so we didn't exactly go out out of our way to protect her but my goodness this team we protected each other and we looked after each other we helped each other finish our work we helped each other do good work and and sort of misery loves company you know Mm -hmm. and it was you know even though it was a terrible job it was one of the best jobs i ever had because i i really learned the value of my team yeah and, and I would never have gotten through it if it weren't for each other. But, but I can tell you, I mean, I'll tell you how bad this boss was. Again, nice person, nice person.
0: Hang on. Do you think it's possible to be a nice yeah, person course, and be of that course, bad?
1: Of course. Absolutely. It's not a person being a bad boss. I take it is,
0: quite personally when I'm
1: <laughs> being a bad boss is not a personality profile. You know, being a bad boss means nobody taught you how to lead and you lack the skill set. Okay. So if you're bad at football, you're not a bad person. You just don't, you're not good at football, right? It's I'm a skill. slightly
0: reappraising someone who I, who was, who I had a terrible first boss very early on in my career similarly. And I totally understand what you mean about that, how that can, yeah. out of that misery comes something that's really well, joyful she and supportive. hired a bunch of
1: people with big personalities and didn't right. know how to, how to, <laughs> right, how to direct us, you know? And, and, and because... We always had an answer back. And we, you know... So you
0: were reasonably challenging. <laughs> we were, you know,
1: we weren't... I don't think we were difficult employees, but we wanted to contribute. And, you know, we were passionate, quote unquote. You yeah. Know? Um, uh, and so I remember once... So, so one of the ways she would try and motivate us is by... You know, I used to say it's like whipping the tiger. The tiger <laughs> will do what you want, for sure. Uh, but at some point the tiger the tiger's gonna bite your hand off yeah like that you know berating us and whipping us to work harder is a is a strategy it's just not a long-term strategy yeah and i i remember i, I put a picture of a tiger on my desktop as sort of a, a reminder to myself like this <laughs> this is not gonna last um but i'll tell you this is a true story she used to have these um semi-regular private meetings with us uh, uh to help us with our career growth great good idea right? great idea Well intentioned this is a true story <laughs>
0: Really, I I feel nervous.
1: I sat down with her, and this is exactly what she said to me in my little career advice session. She said, and I'm quoting, you have no talent. What? And I said, none. (laughs) And she said, none. And I said, I can write pretty well. She said, but not for a business audience, you can't.
0: Goodness me.
1: So the the yeah i know wait it's like you know it's an inspirational speech coach you know but here, but here's the thing here's the mistake she made it's so ridiculous to tell someone you have no talent that it actually i how can i take it seriously of i remember i remember sitting there going in my head this is a joke
0: i mean it's properly comedy
1: it's probably comedy if she said you only have one talent that sure. actually would hurt right because that's
0: well, it's measly. That, it's like your measly talent, like do you, your best. You,
1: you have like one or two things you're good at, but that's not going to help your career. That actually would have really hurt me. Of course. Because I would have gotten credit for the things that I thought I was good at, but that that would be insufficient. But the fact that she said you have none actually made the whole thing laughable. So what I did was I... I was friends with everybody and I was sort of one of, you know, and I found another, I found somebody who, you know, there was another senior person, mid-ranking person, senior to me, (laughs) which was everybody. (laughs) Um, And eventually somebody said, you know, I'd love to have you on my team. I said, please, yes, yes, yes. And so I eventually moved teams. Um, But I'll tell you the, uh, you know, thinking back, one of the, and I get this from my parents. I'm very grateful to my, uh, my, 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 I learned this from my dad, which is you treat, everybody like they're the ceo like you don't treat the ceo like they're the ceo and then treat you know the person in the mailroom like they're in the mailroom you treat everybody like they're the ceo and it's just how my sister and i were raised
0: i think that's so good and i
1: can't tell you we did it not because we wanted to get anything back my sister and i we did it because that's just how you treated people you treated Mm -hmm. everybody right and i remember as a young kid going to work with my dad and this other senior executives would sort of walk with purpose through the through the office to their office you know and my dad would always say hello to everybody, yeah. no matter what they did.
0: And know everyone's names and as well. I names. think it's so and, and that really
1: stuck with us. And so I'll give you a, this again. You know, I'm still, you know, junior assistant dog's buddy. And, and I was sort of making my way through the ranks of this big company. And I remember I would always take care of the guys in the mailroom. Mm-hmm. So if like we had a birthday party and there was extra cake left, I would always take, instead of throwing it away, I'd always take it to the guys in the mailroom. Or if we had a shoot and there was like sort of clothes left, after everybody sort of ransacked the the mm-hmm. the box instead of just chucking it i would always take it down to the mailroom and just because i know that those guys always got left out so i would always go and share it was just that's all because they yeah. were not, i liked them they were nice and i remember one day i had to get something off fedex and you know my boss was like get this out tonight <laughs> you know and it's fed mm-hmm. the last call for fedex is nine o'clock and it's i'm looking at the you know at the time and it's you know, eight fifty nine. Yes. I have nothing in a box and just walk down to the mill room with a pile of stuff in my hands. And I'm like, guys, am I going to make it? And they go, Simon, don't worry. We've got it taken care of. I'm like, but, but, but they're like, don't worry. We'll take care of it for you. And another kid walked in my level and basically with everything perfectly packaged, <laughs> said to the mailroom, room, get this out. And they looked at him and said, sorry, you missed Can't it. Help you. Sorry, man, you missed it. You yeah. should have come a little early. You missed it. And I, and it was in that moment I I learned the value of taking care of people. Because I just did it because it's the right thing to do. And I actually didn't know...
0: That it would actually actually, also save your ass. That that, that it'll
1: save my ass. And so there's nothing more important. And I think a a lot of young entry-level people get this wrong, which is we think when we're entry-level we have to make heroes out of ourselves mm. so that we can advance forwards. And and the truth is actually the opposite. Yeah. If you can make heroes out of everybody else, that's what actually helps you advance. Mm. Um,
0: that's also, part of that is just about being someone who be, people like be being around, person. which is like, yeah. I, I think the energy of that matters as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to be a decent, this has nothing to do with work.
0: Yeah, no, but it is about with, being human at work, which is the same thing as not having this divide between, you know, here's my corporate self, and here's my right. fun down the pub self. That makes no exactly. sense to split those personalities that's in fact splitting that personality is a bizarre yeah. kind of yeah, I, no, disjointed way of living
1: I, I think you hit the nail on the head i mean like this is where we're talking about work-life balance what's where's the split it's like you know i hope you're treating everybody at work with respect at work and i and when you leave i hope you're treating the barista with respect when you order a cup of coffee and i hope you heard treating you know the server with respect when you're ordering food and i and i like the, the cab driver and like like you should like everybody should be treated with respect so yeah i think what we're just talking about you know is like you know how it's not it's not so much how to go to work it's just how to be a good human being
0: right it's kind of the same thing same thing um can you tell me a little bit about so from that first experience and in your first kind of having escaped the bad boss with all of the learnings of that which i think and one of the things that we say in our book is having a bad boss at the beginning is oh, a really brilliant thing. The best. It's absolutely brilliant. And the woman that I'm slightly reappraising, based on your generosity of spirit. <laughs> uh,
1: she's genuinely not a bad person. I bumped into her on the street a couple times. But my version of she's her, nice. she's always been nice to me.
0: I, I just, I don't know. I feel like she was also a bad person. Maybe it was like a double whammy. It, that Obviously that's possible there, too. There are bad people <laughs> we should who are say bad bosses. That. Sometimes yeah. people are just all holistically head to toe yeah. Yeah.
1: Um But, you know, but I, again,
0: I, I'm really grateful to her because I feel like, I knew every day that I spent being managed by that woman that I all I was doing was building up this archive of like a blueprint for things I would never do when I was in the position that she was. And I genuinely have been loyal to those ideas that mm-hmm. I made when I was 22, every single day of my yeah. working life. And so without that experience, I don't know, I could have learnt loads of terrible habits from you know, feeling my own self-importance or Mm. from not having had the experience of being sort of belittled every day. So I'm super grateful. So your video on uh, millennials in the workplace Mm. has been watched by a startling over 150 million times. But I wanted to ask, Mm. beyond millennials, we touched on it a little bit now, but if you had to distill, what's the best piece of advice that you think going in to work starting now Mm. that you would say, people should be like what is the spirit that they should be because a lot of what you talk about in the book Mm. is about how leaders have a responsibility to create to kind of to create this a culture that is superior to the status quo Mm. but how can a young person starting out kind of also embody that spirit do you think
1: i think the the key theme you know from that from that answer from that video is really about relationships Mm. um you know, the things that, the themes that I touched upon are all things that distract, detract, or hurt our ability to form deep, meaningful relationships. And, um, forming relationships, forming, trusting relationships, uh, is, is, it takes work. Like, it's like friends, you know, you don't just meet someone and your friends. That's not how it works. You meet someone, you go, Ooh, they're nice. And then you choose to hang out with them and you're like, Yeah, I still like them. Mm -hmm. And then you hang out with them again. And sometime down the road, for some people quicker, for some people slower, and it depends on the chemistry of the two people, at some point, you'll start sharing with them fears and anxieties and asking for help. And they'll come to you and you'll want to be there for them. Mm -hmm. And you would actually be upset if they didn't come to you for help. Because you consider yourself a good friend to Mm -hmm. them. And intense feelings of love start to, and loyalty start to creep in as well not in a predictable way it just sort of shows up and that's a that's a that's a that's a process it's like getting into shape like you can't just go to the gym for nine hours and be in shape you have to sort of commit yourself to a lifestyle and it's a lot of hard work and it requires risk and discipline just like real friendship
0: sometimes it's boring
1: sometimes it's boring (laughs) and and i think that you know when i tell people you know um take your phone off the table do not have a phone um anywhere um, when you're having a meal with someone or we're having a meeting with someone, personal or professional, ever. It's not I just... love
0: this so much because the phone thing drives me mad.
1: Yeah. It's not just because it makes you feel better, which it will, and it's not just because it'll help you form deeper, meaningful relationships, which it will, but it makes someone else feel like you care. Yeah. And that, to me, is the biggest reason to do it, which is it's, it's an act of service mm. to put your phone away. It's an act of service to learn the skill set of listening, Cause there's a difference between listening and waiting for your turn to speak. Yeah. You know, and, um, and all of these things are a service to another person. They're all practices. They're all skills. They're hard to do. Um, uh, if you don't do them actively, you'll, it's like muscle, like they'll wither away. Mm -hmm. And, and it's all about building relationships. And I think the, the single most important thing to do when you show up to work is really practice building relationships with your colleagues, with your subordinates, with your superiors. Um, and because what will happen is they will learn to trust you. Yeah. And so all of those big ideas that you have and all the things that you think you know better, once they trust you, they'll actually listen to
0: you. Mm. You can articulate them you, in a safe way. And they they'll, can actually, be, yeah, they'll actually, they'll yeah.
1: actually, they'll actually let you take risks and try things. Yeah. But just because you think you're smart, even if you really are smart, that means nothing. Mm. Um, so it's like someone giving It's like someone, you, you know, you, you. it's like. It's like taking the tube to work and telling somebody about your failing relationship and a total stranger leans over and gives you relationship advice. You're not going to take it right. because that person is a stranger, even though the the advice they may be giving you is exactly the right advice. It's because you don't know them, you don't trust them, and you're not interested in there. It's the same thing. And so the single biggest, most important piece of um, advice I can offer anybody starting a job is, is that is really focus on building relationships and, mm-hmm. and, and, and doing these things as an act of service to others, because that is the thing that will make you love work. Yeah. That is the thing that will make you love work.
0: It's also a thing that exists beyond the four walls of any particular job. So I don't know about you, but my life would be an infinitely less fulfilled and enriched place if I hadn't build proper, real, intimate, strong relationships with people who I just happen to have met at work over the last 15 years. And so I think there's this second, like there's a kind of afterlife of that where it's, it's not just because it's transactional in the room because it's going to get you like promoted more or better. In the, it's because... Again, we just—it's the same thing. There is no no distinction, and so mm-hmm. you know, people that my someone who worked for me married my sister. Mm. Those relationships—they are much longer term than the task in hand. They I guess. have to be,
1: you know. No,
0: especially. I mean, yeah. But
1: but, but to, <laughs> to to view everyone as a transactional relationship and to view everyone as simply there to help you ad- advance your your, your goals mm-hmm. um, is a really effective short-term strategy. Um. But it has a lifespan and without because when the chips are down and at some point the chips will be down, uh, there won't be anybody there to help you. Or if they do, they're, they're only doing it transactionally. They <laughs> right. want something from they want something back from you. So
0: it's very one dimensional. You know, I'll do this
1: for you if you do this for me is a terrible way to build any kind of relationship, professional, yeah. or personal. Um and then to walk into somebody who said, "Remember when I did this for you? Well, I need you to do this for me Horrible. again." Is not a good way to build a is not a good way to build a relationship. So that to me is is the is the thing.
0: If I was coming to interview with you, what do you look for? Like what qualities in building your teams do you think is really important? And in that interview scenario, which is such an artificial and awkward situation for most people starting out, what is it that was the one quality that you? really really want to see in that room
1: you know i'm sucker i'm a sucker for someone who 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 believes in service um I'm, i'm a sucker for people who are willing to sacrifice their interests so that others may gain um i like i like i like good people servant servant heart you know um and unfortunately you know in an artificial uh environment like an interview you know, everybody's trying to present their best selves, even if it's bullshit. Mm. You know, like, what's your biggest weakness? Well, I'm a perfectionist. It's an apprentice style answers. And I understand why, because we don't want to, we don't want to, we want to get the job, you know. Mm. And, and the thing that I want, I always remind people when they go interviews is, is, by the way, the interviewer is doing the same thing. Mm. So when you say things like, what's it like to work here? They go, it's fantastic. <laughs> They're also lying. You know, there are yeah. days that are fantastic and there are days that are awful and it's not a, it's not a party every day. So, you know, so the thing, the, I, so there's two parts. I, when I, if I like a candidate, um, I want to hang out with them outside of the the artificial environment yeah. of a, so I'll like, I want to like take them out for a drink or meet them for lunch mm-hmm. where it's a little more relaxed. And I want to know about who they are, as, like who they are as people. Like, what what are you doing? Like, what do you do? You have you know, tell me about your family. Where did you grow up? Yeah. And people let their guard down and they tell you about themselves. And I want to know what kind of people they are. Um. So I I like to know who someone is, not just what they can do or what they've done. Um. I want to know that they're a good cultural fit.
0: Mm.
1: That's really important, even more than their skill set. Yeah. You know, and they have to be good team players. Um. I want to know that they can play nicely on a team. Um, and by the way, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. Some people are really better as individual players. And that's really valuable at, at, at some companies, just not just not ours.
0: Right, of course, yeah.
1: Um, so it's not a question of good, bad, right, wrong. It's a question of like what we need. And we're, you know, it's, in, we're, it's a team. Mm. Um, and I have a favorite question that I like to ask, which is, I always say, I hate surprises, <laughs> which is true. I always say, I hate surprises tell me something that could go wrong so I can be aware of it now because I do not want to be it's surprised when question. it happens later. And the answers I get are absolutely wow, spectacular. Yeah. They say I've heard things like, well, I can sometimes be sensitive to criticism. And so when things go wrong and I get in trouble, I, I sometimes take it really, really personally. Right. So this won't disqualify someone from a job, but this lets me know that if I let them in, like if they join our team... Then, then I, then I, they're giving me clues how I can that I can help them be at their natural best. So yeah. if something goes wrong, I can I can adapt the way I offer feedback. So I I don't like surprises. So tell me something that could happen.
0: Also, you can't bullshit that answer. It's like hard, there is no, a, way, that no way, way that I am desperately trying to think. Just, yeah, you right. can't do that. You can't
1: bullshit that answer because it it has to be an expression of vulnerability. Oh,
0: there's no other. There's
1: no other. There's no other way. So I love that question. Yeah, that's really. And good. the question I would I would offer. Young people when they're interviewing to ask, yes, is I always ask the interviewer, do you like working here?
0: Yeah,
1: right. I remember. And being, then you see
0: the shock and horror on that face. Yeah, and <laughs>
1: and 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 watch their body language because yeah. they're watching our body language.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, uh, uh, and and they'll say, yeah, you know, there are good days and bad days. If that's their first answer, let me tell you, they don't like their job. <laughs> you know
0: when somebody's do this is you, how you decode the answers to know, this question do you like
1: your job well, you know there's eh, good days and bad days they
0: go high pitch you that's know, not a good thing yeah yeah exactly you know <laughs> just squirming that's yeah. the sound of someone yeah. squirming do
1: you or you can even take it a step further which is do you love working here which is, here? Which is even more intense than He's, do you like yeah, working really here is. you know do you like working here yeah i like it a lot do you love working here well i wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far <laughs> you know do you love working here you know I, i've asked that of many people who've interviewed me and you get a really clear insight as to yeah. what it's really like to work there. But
0: you're right. Watch as well as listening. Yeah, You've got to watch. That. You yeah.
1: watch body language. Yeah. Um, because they're not used to that question. They're used to. So like what kind of, you know, what kind of what's the vacation package? What's the holiday package? Yeah. What do I get? And where's the insurance? You know, in what the... kind of insurance? Those are the questions they're prepared for. And by the way, do not ask those questions.
0: No, you can anyway. find out later. It's a complete you, waste of an interview it, space. If they
1: offer you a job.
0: Yeah, that's when, when you, you negotiate. That's, that's, that's when
1: you can ask all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, also, do you, don't
0: say "show me the money." Like, there, no money questions in the room.
1: No money questions, and
0: even though that's all you're thinking well, and about, I know,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, I remember in my like very early, when somebody asked me, "What are you looking for?" They meant money. They said to me, "What are you looking for?" And I'd say, "An opportunity."
0: See, that's good. You
1: know, I'm not because I, I don't want to talk money because
0: it's just not the it's not the I'm, space to and do and it. By the way
1: however good you think you are, you're not a good negotiator <laughs> when you're an entry-level person. You have no cards. No. You know, because we, we have a line around the block. Yeah. Um, especially in a bad economy.
0: And, uh, and they all look like you. Uh,
1: the other thing I think is if you don't get the job, I know that sounds easier said than done, don't take it personally mm. because you don't know the reason. It's not that they didn't like you. You don't know the reason why the other person did get the job. Yeah. Maybe they're someone's nephew. You know, like, right. you don't know. You don't maybe, know the maybe, backstory, it's you don't true. Know maybe the company was going through the motions and pretending to interview people. But there's but already, really Barry getting, has already got but, it but in accounts. Had, had, <laughs> had already been, you know.
0: It's true, you shouldn't take it personally because I think for a lot of people it is their first experience of what feels like utter rejection. Yeah. But it isn't that but simple.
1: Go, go talk to actors. No, I'm serious. I'm not, yeah. I'm not actually joking. Yeah. You know, go spend time with actors because their entire life, is rejection they'll get 10 rejections for every one acceptance and it is brutal because Mm. they just get they they, you know how they get told no no one calls silence they they just get ghosted that's how you find out you didn't get the part no one calls you it is horrible it's a shame that
0: my a level a in drama never amounted to anything i feel i couldn't have coped
1: but talk to actors because you'll learn that it's it's like it, it it makes them tough, yeah. And it's part of the it's part of the deal. And I think you know they deal with it every single day for their entire careers. We only have to deal with it like a couple times, sure. You know, depending on how many times we we, we jump ship, um, yeah.
0: Uh, you talk in the book about the limitations of what is often a default mentality. I think particularly if you if you're emerging bright and shiny and new out of education, uh, the sort of default winning losing mentality. How can someone starting out at work try to kind of just sh- – if, especially if they've been, you know, sports stars at school and all that sort of – the kind of education system that requires you to be competitive with your – or to mm. get the best grade, all of these things. It absolutely cements that sense of winning and losing. Not just
1: sports. I mean, grades.
0: Yeah. And all of the sort of, you know, Rank, the place ra- and the – Rankings and, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's very much – it sort of institutionalises that thinking. And I think also particularly the language that we use around social media or that some people use around social media that's very prevalent for this audience, you know, about kind of particularly in relation to work, like slaying it and killing it. It's all very like the aggression around that sort of mm. win and lose. What, how can someone just try to shed that as this? Talk? I mean, because it feels very heavy to no. me as a sort of legacy that, and a well, place to start. There's no
1: such thing as being number one, right? Um, I mean, and if you are number one, it's only for now you know because someone else would be ahead of you in just a few minutes um i think the analogies we use the wrong analogies so we talk about we overuse sports analogies we overuse war analogies you know um but those are all finite things they have a beginning middle and end and a career doesn't um nobody's declared the winner of careers and you know it just it doesn't happen there's no what's the standard of being of having a great career because you made more money but you're miserable have you won i don't know (laughs) You know, um, so it's we have to change the change the analogy, and the analogy is is much more about think of it more like um, being healthy, like getting into shape. Think of it as a lifestyle rather than a something with um, with a with an end. So, for example, um, if you want to be healthy, you have to eat right, you have to go to the gym, you have to nourish your personal relationships, and you have to get a lot of sleep. Like that's how you be healthy. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do all of those things all the time, but you you work on it, um, and uh, you can have goals. Absolutely, you can have finite goals. Like, I want to lose X amount of weight by X date. And if you don't get the goal, if you don't hit the goal, you've still been doing so much work towards that goal. You're still way healthier than you were.
0: Right. And so it's still worry, progress?
1: So you, it's, st- it's, still, it's still progress. It goes back to that mountain analogy. You're still moving up the mountain. And and don't worry, because you'll get the goal a little later. So like, I'm going to get a job by Christmas. Well, what if you don't get a job by Christmas? Mm. You'll, do, you'll get one in, by March. You know, it's fine. Yeah. Like, just keep, do, keep doing the work. So if you think of a career... More like a lifestyle, more like exercise, mm-hmm. that it's something you just keep working at and you keep improving. Um, and sometimes you can hit your goals and sometimes you don't, but it doesn't matter. You still, you just keep working at it. It's a much healthier attitude to approaching a career. Um, goals are important, but think of it as a lifestyle rather as a winning rather than winning and losing. That's perfect. Rather Thank than you. a game. A lifestyle rather than a game.
0: Okay, last question. Uh, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you were younger?
1: I don't have all the answers. And when I don't, I don't have to pretend that I do.
0: <laughs>
1: it is the single most valuable lesson I learned.
0: Were you guilty of doing that a lot oh my at God, the beginning?
1: Yes. Oh my God, yes. I thought, especially when I did eventually start my own business, I thought, because I'm the boss, I have to know all the answers. And if I didn't, I just faked it right. like crazy.
0: So you're not an advocate of the fake it. T- well, although you did fake it till you made it. No, I didn't. I
1: faked, I faked it <laughs> until I failed.
0: Okay.
1: I didn't fake it until I made it. I faked it until it fell up, fell on top of me because it was held up by, you know, paper columns and it couldn't hold the weight. And it was only then that I had to learn to sort of be really, really honest with myself and with others. And um, and it got to the point where I where I used to say how great I was at everything to the point where I said, I'm really good at this, but I'm really bad at that. I'm okay at this. Mm-hmm. And it turned out people wanted to work with me more because I was the only one who was honest. Right. Yeah, you know, that's a big one, which is if you don't know something, just say, I don't know.
0: Mm. And also what happens when you do that is n- there is no disaster.
1: There's no disaster. And what I, what I learned was because if you say you do know what you're doing and you don't and it breaks. I mean, that's a disaster. That, that's that's when. And it, by the way, it'll quickly become clear to somebody else that you never knew what you were doing and you lied. And they will take more offense at the lie than the failure. Of
0: course.
1: Um, and so there's and, and what I discovered was um, nobody thought less of me people actually thought more of me and I was surrounded by people who were willing to help. They weren't, they didn't help before because they didn't think I needed it because I didn't say that I did. Yeah. And so when, as soon as I started saying, I don't know, or I need help, or can you explain that to me? Um, I was surrounded by people who helped me. I- I'll give you an example of, of how hard it is to tell the truth. Um, I made a deal with myself I did this little thing i, I remember it was, I, I i went to a talk and somebody sort of like said this and i've repeated it since which was great which is don't tell a single lie absolutely so if you're listening to this podcast you can do it from this look at your watch <laughs> on this day at this hour for the next 48 hours you will not tell a single lie now it sounds really easy because we all think we're honest but you have no idea how hard it is because we constantly tell these little white lies either to protect our own egos protect not be humiliated or even to make somebody else feel better you know do i look fat in these jeans (laughs) now you don't have to be mean i like the other jeans better is telling the truth okay you don't have to be mean but you have to tell the truth so i i made this little deal with i tried it i'm like okay i'm not going to tell a single lie for the next 48 hours right by sheer coincidence for the first time i had this i had a meeting in with, with a with a with the senior speech writer for a senior member of congress right so I go to uh, this meeting in, the, in, in Congress, in the, in the main building, and I walk into this incredible office with vaulted ceilings and f- frescoes on the, on the walls, and, and she sits down with me, and the first question she says is, how much research have you done on the congressman?
0: Oh, God. Right
1: <laughs> Now, on any other day, I would have said, a little, because I didn't want to be humiliated
0: right i'm so uncomfortable right now
1: (laughs) but i remember thinking to myself ah shit you know because i made this deal that i wasn't tell in single life so she said how much research have you done on the congressman and i said none and she said okay let me tell you then she wasn't testing me she was finding out my baseline and if i had said if i had said some she wouldn't have told me everything i needed to know right Right now,
0: so she didn't say stand up, get your bags, leave.
1: No, now she could have. <laughs> she could have done. Look, at the end of the day, there was a risk because if I said none, she could have comp- she could have been completely disenchanted and said, "Well, what the hell are you doing here?" Like that that scenario could have happened, yep. without a doubt. But what I found out was by being honest, she told me everything I needed to know. Yeah. But I needed to take that risk to find that out.
0: And it unlocks a whole different uh, kind of temperature of a conversation, yeah. doesn't it?
1: Like when somebody says, have you read this book? And we go, yeah, huh. Or have you ever heard of this person? You go, I think so. That's a lie. I do that all You've the time. You've never heard their name in You've your life. Never,
0: you are uneducated and you don't know.
1: Right. So, you know, you can't lie. It's really, it's really, really. But try it, try it.
0: I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it now. Hours. I think I'm really honest, but now I'm completely.
1: None uh, of us are. Clearly I'm no, not. No, none of us are. None I'm going to Because we, we, lying is an important social convention because we don't want to hurt people's feelings, you know? um, you go over to someone's house and you know, they, here's a perfect example. You go and watch a friend who's in a play and uh, at the end of the the play was the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. You meet them backstage. They haven't even taken their costume and makeup off. And the first thing they say is, what did you think? You're not going to say, I loved it because it's a lie, but you're also not going to say, I hated it because you'll hurt their feelings. So what you say is it was interesting. (laughs) You say some bullshit that sort of doesn't get the truth. Um, and what I've learned is honesty doesn't have to happen immediately. So uh, this is a true, so this happened to me. A friend of mine, I went to see her dance performance. It was the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. And she came off the stage. She was still in her costume. And she said, you know, what did you think? And I said, I, it was so much fun to see you dancing.
0: That's it a was lovely such, answer. It
1: was such a joy. I had so much, I, it was such a joy to be here and see you on stage, which was true
0: of course and otherwise said, you wouldn't have been there and then there. I
1: said I'm so proud of you which is also, also true. true and then the next day <laughs> when the adrenaline had come down I called her up and said can I tell you what I thought of the performance and she said of course and then I said I thought the directing was weird. I thought the choreography was poor. And she goes, yeah, because now we can have a rational conversation. And and,
0: yeah, a proper, honest.
1: So when somebody says, tell me, you know, what did you think? It doesn't mean you have to tell them today. (laughs) But if they ask for the feedback, you have to tell them. Yes. So, but my point is, is like, there are ways to be honest without hurting someone's feelings, without lying.
0: Yes. And also not just by omission, because you still had the honest conversation later. Correct. My thanks to Simon Sinek for being such a thoughtful and inspiring first guest for this show. We could obviously talk about this forever, but for now, if you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget that the book How to Go to Work is published by Penguin, available to buy from the 6th of February. The link's in our show notes. And if you want to know more about Simon's thinking, then links to his books, including his new title, The Infinite Game, are also in our show notes. Please subscribe and review this episode to get us off to a good start. And if you know someone who's making decisions about who or what they want to be as they enter the world of work, please recommend this project. We're doing it because we really think we can help people feel more confident and more prepared by sharing the essential advice that no one ever tells you at the start of your career. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Mark, our editor. Join me, Lucy Clayton, next time when my guest is Jude Yawson, writer and co-author of the Stormzy book Rise Up, for another honest and unvarnished conversation about how to go to work.